1: Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome back to the Front 3. No, this isn't the velvet voice of Adam Boltwood. He's in fact over in Lisbon being a bit of a sellout. It's David O'Brien joined by Chris Hennig and of course Nico Morales. Chaps, how's it going today? It's going well,
0: how about about yourself?
1: Yeah, decent. Missing Lawrence McKenna, obviously, as well. Um, I don't know where he's gone. He's got lost in London somewhere, and I think he's potentially dealing with some of True Geordie's needs. But anyway, on today's show, we're going to talk the Europa League, then the Champions League, then a little bit of news, then do some previews, and then finally, your questions. So, first up, let's talk the Europa League. and Elect versus Manchester United. The mighty Belgians up against the former greats of Manchester United. The game finished one goal, goal apiece. I was very impressed by Paul Pogba and Michael Carrick controlling the game. Uh, Chris, what did you think of uh, those two players' performances?
2: Yeah, I, I, th- I thought they were good. Um, I, I think, in a lot of ways, I just agree with what Mourinho said at the at the, uh, post-match there, that they didn't kill the, the game off in the way they should have. I think, really, it was not a, a result to... To lose your head over because it's still, you know, a away goal or to draw, but I, yeah, I thought I thought their performances were solid. It's it's for me the Europa League has to be Man United's premier concern right now. There, there's there's very little I think benefit in, in trying to throw all of your effort into to getting fourth because it's not really in your hands at, at this point. Whereas the Europa League firmly is.
1: Yeah, I kind of completely agree with that. United again missing chances, uh, chance after chance after chance this season. has Gone begging. Paul Pogba had a massive opportunity. At, um, you know, at one nil to make it two nil and miss that. But Paul Pogba for me had an absolute fantastic game. Had 147 touches of the ball, and made you know made 127 passes, won 67% of his tackles, made four interceptions. He was fantastic in the centre of the park. But I think the the other big question, Nico, is is David de Gea's future again? benched by Jose Mourinho. There's reports of them having a fallout off the pitch. Do you think it's time for United to cash in and David de Gea, or potentially go the other way and cash in and as well as bringing one of the Real Madrid stars to Old Trafford?
0: yeah i think it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world um obviously it'd be a detriment if david de Gea left because he's a he's probably one of the definitely within the conversation of being you know a top five goalkeeper in the world but it's one of those things that i think with the power and financial might of manchester united they would be able to to bring a solid goalkeeper back and realistically you know Knowing Mourinho's tactics and all that sort of thing, he, he'll he'll be able to cope with the the loss of David De Gea. Although it would be a big one, um, but yeah, I think uh, if he left and he decided to leave, then it wouldn't be uh, the worst thing in the world for Manchester United.
1: I think it's one of these things where they could remove David Gea and they could replace him with any goalkeeper in the world, really. I think United, the more importantly, need to get some, get a better partner for it. Bay, you know, look at the goals in the central midfield, look at a destroyer in midfield. For me, goalkeepers are an interchangeable play, place in sort of the top level of Europe. I don't think they upgrade your side too much, in a way. They obviously do upgrade it, but I think the percentage are a lot smaller. In other news in the Europa League, Ajax beat Schalke two goals to nil, with Justin Cliver grabbing the second uh, assist for the second goal sorry uh, Chris you watch this game or you watch parts of this game what do you think of this Ajax team apparently there was no players over the age of 27 which is very impressive
2: It is and, and the thing is they're, they're a very good team Ajax at, at this stage I don't think they're going to win the league it's it's very close between between them and, and Feyenoord um, but they are still an exciting team and they're starting to really promote youth as well Cliver probably typifies that you've got Del- Delict at the back as well who Admittedly, he didn't have a great debut for for Holland, um, but he's still a, a huge prospect, I think. And they're, they're starting to get some decent talent from abroad in as well. David Neres, the Brazilian, has is, is come in and looks at uh, a very exciting young winger. Um, and I think, like I said, it's, it's all blending together to make quite a fun, confident side. And You've got maybe a little bit of the experience in Davy Klaassen, which sounds mad when you consider he's still so young. But people like him are serving as, as the leaders as well. And it's it's interesting reading all of these pieces about Dave, uh, Mark Overmars being the potential sporting director for, for Arsenal. Because I think if anything gets him the job, it might be the way that this IX team are playing, even if that's not perhaps the, the best reflection of his time at the club.
1: Yeah, it is an interesting moment for Ajax going back to what they do well, and that is obviously youth development at the time that they won the Champions League uh, in 1995. It was a complete, like, sort of, you know, youthful side, obviously, without Kasper Dolberg who uh, didn't make the starting starting line. I think he's injured at the moment. Um, you know, they've got a star. No, actually, in fact, he was on the bench, but, you know, they've got a star in the making there as well. Another result in the Europa League Celta Vigo uh, beat Ghent. Uh, three goals to two, assist to Aspas and Gadetti scoring the goals for Celta Vigo. And Leon beat Besiktas two goals to one. there was marred by by crowd trouble uh, with the Besiktas fans throwing missiles at some Leon fans that were below them. The Leon fans then entered the pitch, and the game was delayed by about forty five minutes. Nico, what do you think of the the Besiktas fans and what they did? Very very silly, right?
0: Yeah, it's not something that we want to see in football, especially with you know the events that happened at Dortmund earlier in the week. It's just it's just not good to see, and it's not. Obviously, necessarily of the same, uh, the same. I guess seriousness. But you know, one thing that has to be mentioned was the, uh, I, bit, I believe, the Leon president um, going into the fans and and making a, uh, you know, making his presence felt and and letting them know that 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 sort of thing wasn't necessarily going to be accepted.
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a bad one, and it's going to be a difficult difficult task for Leon to go away to Turkey to play Besiktas away with you know with Besiktas having a goal advantage. It's it's going to be an interesting tie, and I quite honestly, would tip back Besiktas to go through here, even though Leon are regarded as one of the the tournament's uh, you know favourites in a way with Manchester United. So a lot of interesting ties for that second leg. But anyway, let's move on. Let's talk, stop talking about the rubbish competition in Europe. Let's talk about the Champions League, and there's nowhere else to start other than of course. The uh, Dortmund Monaco game—the game that was uh, pushed back to the next day following a what's been reported as a terrorist incident—an incident where four packages exploded near the bus, a Dortmund team bus. In terrible situation. That's apparently there were nail bombs as well. You know, not good circumstances there. Chris, how did you how did you find the news? Do you find through the usual sources through t- Twitter? And what do you sort of feel about this situation?
2: Yeah, it, it flashed up on my phone. Um... As for the situation, I think, look, it's, it's a massive shame. It's also, I would say, uncontrollable in a lot of ways because you look at a lot of these situations where team buses come into hotels, stadiums, whatever, it, it is now impossible to really distance supporters and, and potential threats from uh, team buses and, and the players in general. So it, it is a very complex situation in, in that aspect. I think it's very unfortunate what happened. I question if it was the right decision to, to let the, the Dortmund players play 24 hours later. I appreciate that some people will say the teams agree to that. I think there are instances where a governing body or, or whoever has the the highest power in terms of say, has to maybe step in and say, actually, we think it's, it's better maybe to delay this for a week or delay this for um, even just 48 hours just to give people a little bit of time to ingest and and process what happened because, again, it is a a near-death experience for a a lot of these players. That's what you have to to remember at the heart of it. And Again, you you look at the way that some of the players spent time after the incidents with their families and and that kind of thing. I just don't know if you're in the the correct frame of mind to then play a a high-level, high-intensity football game the next day knowing that, theoretically, you could... Have, have lost your life just 24 hours prior in that same location.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, it's one definitely I agree that the, the body of the football, you know, UEFA needs to be stepping in and making decisions on these types of things and kind of ruling that these players can't be exposed to a game of football that means a lot to them. You know, the the Thomas Tufel quotes after the game were sort of scathing the interview he gave, sort of pointed out, attacked somebody within Borussia Dortmund and said they made the decision. The players didn't want to play, the manager didn't feel fit, you know, he didn't feel fit to, to field these players on the pitch. So it's one of these things where again, Life is more important than football, and Football is a game that we love uh, and is very important, but it kind of reflects what no- Nuri Sahin was saying in his interview that there's more important things than football, and family is obviously a massive thing there. And obviously, the, this experience was was pretty terrible. Anyway, let's stop talking about the sad things. Let's move on to the more happy things, and that was the game. What an absolute treat! Three goals to two to Monaco, the away team um, dominating in spells, especially in that first half. It was classic Monaco for me. Um, you know, getting forward with their wing backs, the uh, two wide players coming inside and in create, and of course. Kylian Mbappe. Nico, is Kylian Mbappe the best teenager in world football?
0: Quite possibly. Well, we saw a number of gifted individuals out there on that pitch um, that night in Christian Pulisic and Usman Dembele and a, and a few other youngsters. Um, I think Dortmund, though you know, they were relatively disjointed and and put to uh not necessarily as effective as they would want to be in the first half, but it only speaks to Tuchel's credit and his uh, tactical analysis to how he changed the formation in the second half and really made Dortmund that much more effective. Obviously, they didn't get to win the game, but if you look at the three goals that Monaco scored, not to say that they weren't dangerous because I think they had a much better first half than they did a second half, but if you look at the three goals, you know, an offside one, um, a terrible, terrible, terrible header by... Uh, Um, someone whose name escapes me right now, and then the third goal being a a terrible mistake by, uh, I believe it was Piszczek. Um, You know, Dortmund have every right to get back into this tie, and it's certainly not over. And, you know, just to speak to what you guys were saying before, nobody would even imagine the way that those Borussia Dortmund players played this game, that something as significant had happened to them, you know, a little less than 24 hours before. And I just think, you know, the decision... For the game to be played so soon after something like that happened is is not the correct one.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a solid points there. Obviously, the Sven Bender uh, own goal was the one that started. To be honest, like I've heard this that sort of narrative being thrown around that it was kind of like the mistakes but I kind of think the, the systematically the goals that Monaco scored were all geared to how they play football and how they've played this season you think of the first goal was um, Thomas uh, Bernardo Silva linking with Lamar on the other side fantastic ball across obviously offside and you know understand that the second goal the, the wing back getting forward Raggi overlapping a narrow Lamar again and then the third goal was just classic uh, Mbappe being very aware but then the finish was absolutely fantastic in terms of Thomas Tufel like you were saying though Nico so good at half time His changes uh, bringing Pulisic and Guerrero out wide and bringing on Nori Sahin, who we haven't really seen make a massive impact as well as the impact he made in the second half against Monaco since you know his few injuries and the return to uh, obviously Borussia Dortmund. I think Christian Pulisic needs deserves to be spoke about in a little bit more detail. He was brought on at half time, and within 10 minutes, he'd beaten Raggi on two occasions. He completed two dribbles, which was more than any player managed in the first half. Chris, as a uh, you know a, a specialist on American football. Uh, American soccer, should I say, is Pulisic really up there with some of the top young players in world football?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think sometimes the questioning over him centres on the fact that he's American. There's, in my opinion, still uh, at least an air of prejudice when it comes to-, to American players and what their potential ceiling is. But you look at just the numbers, the difference between him being off the field in that game and then coming on, and there's a significant improvement for, for Brucey Dortman e. Dortmund. I also think someone like Thomas Tuchel isn't, isn't going to promote someone like Pulisic um, at that age to a position like that if he didn't think he was, was worth it and, and had the talent and even the mentality, most importantly of all, to handle that kind of situation. That's that's the thing with, with Pulisic. The, the one difficulty he, I think he has moving forward is already he is seen as a, a massive key part of, of the US's future at an international stage. And so whereas perhaps other players might be allowed to grow with a little bit of anonymity, he won't be able to do that. Every move, every step will be analysed, over-analysed. And and his games, I think, for Dortmund, assuming that's where he ends up staying for the next three, four years, will, I would say, increase in terms of broadcast uh, frequency on on. US television. So it's it's a difficult position for him, but honestly the, the more I see of him, the more I think he's the, the right character to shoulder that responsibility, whereas perhaps others have, have maybe lacked the mentality for that.
1: No, I couldn't agree more. I think Pulisic is as regarded as you know he is regarded as one of the best young players in world football. What he did as well in the system, Thomas Tuchel in fact put him out um, to sort of the wing back position in four system, the four uh, the three four two one system. He was playing out wide and he was so good at both attacking and then getting back and defending. And it's credit to him. He can play a number of attacking positions. He looks a lot. He's got like a lot of German traits. Um, obviously coming through the the Borussia Dortmund Academy it kind of feels like he's slightly like a German-esque player but obviously the game finished uh, 3 goals to 2 Monaco with a big advantage and I fully expect Monaco to go through Kylian Mbappe scoring his 21st goal of the season which is incredible for an 18 year old but in the knockout stages as well his stats are unbelievable he's converted 50% of his chances 11 dribbles from 5 shots on target He scored 4 goals and that is more than any other player in the competition for an 18 year old incredible a, w- a player that's plays central that is kind of a wide forward he's a sort of hybrid player he's a sort of new talented player but anyway moving on let's talk about some other games let's move to the other game on tuesday well the game on tuesday barcelona versus of course the mighty juve at interin uh let's go to nico nico what's what's your feelings on this game an absolute corker right
0: yeah it was a great one i think um A lot of people are sort of underestimating Allegri's Juventus in the sense that, you know, they didn't expect them to do this well against this talented of a Barcelona team and sort of the tactics that they employed in their high press and the organization of that press. I mean, it was fearless, but it's not necessarily something that we've seen that's new. It's it's this this juventus system as you and i have spoken uh, to before and perhaps you know lawrence and i have had conversations about since he spent some time in italy recently you know Allegri is hailed as a as an excellent coach over there in uh, in in italy because of his ability to create such a fluid system with such professionals that maybe other coaches wouldn't be able to get like the defensive work out of them so it, it's it's one of those things where People are claiming, you know, you know, Juventus were able to to play on the counter and make uh, such, you know, su- such a good game out of essentially a game that they didn't necessarily control. But we've seen this. Before from Juventus, we've seen it against the likes of Napoli, who attack them for ninety minutes. But Juventus have absolutely no problem doing that, and they were excellent in the way that they pressed and they were defensively solid. So it only speaks to how good a manager Allegri is, and and hopefully he'll he'll be rewarded for his uh, for his managerial nous, I guess. Yeah,
1: I think it's a big thing. They're so flexible in their styles. You know, we saw in the first. What ten minutes they grabbed the goal? They they started so high they pressed Barcelona out the back, but that was something they consistently did. They were also p- pressing them in that sort of second phase when the ball was in central midfield. They got the goal and they sat back. It's just one of these things that this Juventus team is so good at doing. And Allegri moving the tactics on from a four two three one to a four five one, and then they ended up playing a five four one. You know, five at the back. Chris, do you think this Juventus team are the dark horses like a certain someone said at the start of the season? <laughs>
2: I think think they are. Uh, They have strength and depth, I think, across the squad. They have a real X factor in in Dybala, um, someone that I think is up there for arguably one of the best players still in the tournament right now. I also think what they did really well, and this could go for for many an Italian team in European competition, their positioning and spatial awareness without the ball, I think, was second to none. Um, and and for me, there is an air. It's so difficult because you, on the one hand, I, I do want to commend Juventus for their defensive work and, and how they set themselves up, but also I think uh, Barcelona failed to learn a lesson from their knockout game against Mourinho all those years ago, the year that, that Inter Milan won it, because again they 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 essentially locked up Juventus. They 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 were quite content to not have the ball, to give it to their opposition, and then spring quickly and use that X factor that Dybala has to, to infiltrate the back line. And you, you just look at even Dani Alves, who, like I said at, at the time, had a point to prove clearly. I thought he marshalled Neymar very well. I thought Neymar coming deep didn't help that massively for, for Barcelona in, in an attacking sense. And And really you know, but for that sensational ball that Messi played through to, to Iniesta, I didn't think there was many clear-cut chances for Barcelona and and that's a, a very strong statement to make for a team that is that good in the final third. So, for me, I think it is a, such a fine balancing line because, yes, Barcelona were not at their level. I think we can all agree on that. But also, Juventus showed exactly why they should be feared in this competition and you look at the teams that are left. I, believe you were alluding to yourself in the question there saying that they could be the. No, horses. not me, Chris. I, I I genuinely think if I had to pick one now, the team that I think is is possibly going to be in that final, I'd be hard pushed to, to look past Juventus because I think they are that good.
1: Yeah, an, an excellent side. I think they've got a they've got the components to really go on to win this tournament and you think about their what their top scorer, uh, Gonzalo Higuaín who didn't have a great night in front of goal, but you think about the counter attack, the ball that he played over the top to switch the play to Quadrado shows his quality, and you know if, if he can get a, a sniff of a chance away at the new Camp, he will score, and that will kind of kill the tie off for Juventus. They need one goal. That's it. It's basically if Barcelona can keep a clean sheet at home, uh, they'll win the tie. If not obviously Juve will go through and that's it and we've seen how leaky this Barcelona team is so I'd probably back my money right now on Juve but I want Barcelona to, to go through I just love the story this season the amount of comebacks the amount of times that they've played rubbish and then they've just turned in an absolute killer display as you mentioned the messy chan- chance chance he created for Iniesta was probably the only big one they opened up I think Suarez was through once as well but apart from that wasn't very good from Barcelona at all and they massively miss a right fullback it is ridiculous how much they miss Dani Alves but anyway let's move on to the big game of Wednesday night that's Bayern Munich versus Real Madrid two goals to one after a red card for Martinez that changed the tie but I want to talk about defensive midfielders first up Nico talk to me about Arturo Vidal one of the best performances you've seen in the first half bar the penalty miss from a DM
0: yeah he's he's someone that's you know, only elevated his game since leaving. You know, the the mighty Juventus and going to Bayern, and I think that speaks to his ability. Um, he covers uh, relatively. I wouldn't call it loose midfield, but playing next to Chabi Alonso at this stage in his career can't be a n necessarily an easy thing, but he, he certainly makes up for that. And I think, um, his, all, all of his abilities, not only to tackle probably consistently put in some yellow card challenge, like five or six yellow card challenges a game and get away with them is something that I'll never really understand how he does. Um, but you know, he's an excellent player. And I think, uh, you know this. This is one of his marquee performances that really shows his ability to. One thing that that struck me at his time at Juventus that I think he's only um, he's only improved upon is that if he couldn't get into the game offensively, which I think he was deployed in a little bit more of an offensive role when he was uh, at Juventus, was that he would make sure that nobody got past him in the midfield, and that's something that he's only continued to to improve upon uh, under under his time at at Bayern Munich and and especially under Ancelotti. So it, it speaks to his ability as a player.
1: The thing that I found fascinating as well that he obviously scored the goal. Yeah, he had another header that just went over the bar. But in terms of tackles, he won more tackles than any other player on the pitch. It was absolutely everyone it was winning the ball wherever he wanted to. But more importantly, he was dropping between the two Bayern Munich centre backs and initiating the attacks. He was the guy doing that. He was doing everything in a game of technically, you know, gifted players: Modric, Cruz, um, Thiago, Chabiolonto, It was Vidal that was controlling the game with the ball at his feet, and it was an incredible display in that first half. But the penalty killed him. The penalty shot his confidence, and unfortunately, that's where the main man Casemiro decided to take control of the game Chris Casemiro talk to me
2: I like him um, I also thought Asensio was, was pretty decent as well I like him as as a, an attack midfielder especially given his age um, but no I think I think Casemiro is a, a funny one because again you, you look at Real Madrid's timeline possibly just for the, the period that we've been alive defensive midfielders for the most part have, have usually been underappreciated um, but then you could could even argue that, that that's a misnomer it's the idea of who is underrated and, and that being a little bit of a uh, an oxymoronic question I, th- I think what he does he does very well um, and I'm not sure if there's anyone else in that squad that could do it that's the that's the thing that's where you become a, a key asset at any big club is when you do things that those around you can't and that's not always splitting a defence or whatever it's even being able to um, Sweep up and, and be the, the oil for the engine, I think was the, the phrase used for Makaleli all those years ago. Which is not to say that I think he's identical, I think there are actually differences between the pair. Um, but I still think he serves an important role in terms of just holding things together. That's that's what I think Casemiro does, as well. He holds the rest of the team together and gives them a, a structure that might be missing if it was perhaps a, a more attack minded midfielder in there, Chris. He
0: doesn't just um. Just to add on to what what Chris said about Casemiro there, I completely agree. And also, you know, I think he's one of those players that we've seen the evolution of defensive midfielders in the past couple of years. And at times, you know, people can readily identify what the best or most influential midfielders on the ball are at Real Madrid in their normal lineup. You know, it's Luka Modric, it's Tony Cruz, but also Casemiro, when those players are perhaps man-marked out of the game in certain instances in their build-up play and stuff like that, the ball does come, come to Casemiro and he does an exceptional job. Job at moving the ball forward, making those line-breaking passes. And we've seen his offensive output, you know, increase significantly because teams try to adjust and try to shut off the likes of Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. And Casemiro steps up and, and plays that role exceptionally well.
1: It's just so important to the side, just to add on both of your excellent points. I think you you look at the, the, the goal, the first goal rail scored. Who played the ball from central midfield out wide to Carvajal in an advanced position in between the left winger and the left back? It was, of course, Casemiro. And you think about his goal against Napoli, he's starting to add real quality to his game. But I just, I just think he's just... My, he's my favourite defensive midfielder right now in world football. He's so aggressive. What well, I loved as well is how he shuttled over to that right... to the their Real Madrid's left-hand side, Bayern Munich's right-hand side, to deal with the threat of Iron Robin cutting in. In terms of tackles, he won 75% of his four tackles against Iron Robin and just basically helped out Ramos. As, you, as we do know, Real attack with their fullbacks Carvajal and Marcelo usually get caught up the pitch. Therefore, the defenders, usually Ramos, have to shuttle out and, and defend these, against these wide players. But Casemiro was doubling up, helping him out. It wasn't um, Ronaldo who was helping out his, uh, his you know, defensive player. It was Casemiro going over there and so crucial in the Real Madrid victory. A Dave, you're,
0: you're, telling me, you're telling me that your favourite defensive midfielder isn't Marouane Fellaini? I mean, it has to be.
1: So Marouane Fellaini stats this season, just to throw Fellaini <laughs> stats out there, with Marouane Fellaini, <laughs> Manchester United have won 50% of their games in the Premier League without Marouane Fellaini. They've won 50% of their games. So, in fact, Fellaini is now null, void. Uh, not my defend- favourite defensive midfielder, nor was he ever my favourite defensive midfielder in world football. Casemiro would kill him in a tackle. But let's move on to more killing in tackles. Let's talk about Atletico versus Leicester. four four two versus four four two. Chris, was it as fun as that in the game?
2: Uh, it wasn't as even.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> That's a no. Um... I th- I th-
2: they negated I th- each other. <laughs> I th- I, honestly, I thought Leicester were outplayed for a, a good number. I thought the fact that Danny Simpson was up against Antoine Griezmann was pretty hilarious, just as a, <laughs> a comparison. Um, I, I think Leicester did phenomenally well to get as far as they have. I personally, as it stands right now, can't see them getting getting one over on Atletico in the, the second round, uh, the second leg, excuse me, because because I think there's just too much quality there. Um, you look at the players that Atletico have got, the experience, all all those different factors. I just don't see Leicester being able to match that because a lot of their success, in my opinion, is based on we are better than the sum of our parts. And I think what Atletico did very well was they isolated the parts and then took advantage of the fact that they had better quality. Um, And you then look at a home leg for Leicester where they're going to have to theoretically take the game or at least show some kind of impetus to attack because they're down a goal, that I think will expose them again
1: they're going to break down a team that's got the best clean sheet record in the last few seasons in the Champions League. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's funny. I quite like the analogy of it. The Leicester City were better because they were, you know, the sum of the parts. Some of this, this Atletico team, they are better because they have the sum of the parts in this team. And it's kind of like they're trying to out Atletico, what Atletico have been doing in the Champions League consistently for the last four seasons. And unfortunately, finally, Leicester City have come up against something that is better One that what the, they have produced. In terms of Jamie Vardy as well, was very, very disappointed disappointing in the game sorry he only uh, failed to complete a single pass in the game and only only attempted two absolutely rubbish So, so nullified by Atletico in terms of the next leg though Nico who do you expect to go through simple right
0: yeah, it's it's it could be, or on paper it is a simple one, but we can't forget. You know, football's random, and uh, Leicester's FC variants. They they seem to benefit from every single you know possible weird outcome. It's only one nil, um, but you know, speaking to Atletico's defensive record, you could easily see Atletico going through in the second leg. And I mean, it's just I would I would hate to see I hated to see uh, Leicester go through against Sevilla because I don't think I think if they had played. To be at any other point in the year even if they were at their best they wouldn't have gone through um and it's it's one of those things where I just I don't think Leicester deserved to, to be this far in the in the Champions League anymore um but it, it, I also believe that you know, Simeone has tried to do something a little bit different as of lately with his uh, with his um, Atletico team and tried to transition to more a sustainable offensive style. And that's why we've seen some of their some of their struggles in La Liga this season. But he's reverted back to that defensive solidity. And and we saw it. Jamie Vardy didn't complete a pass against them. So if they continue that second half perfor- or that performance in the second leg, um, then we'll easily see Atletico again in the latter stages of the competition for about the millionth time in the past couple.
1: Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P. All seasons. That transitions nicely on to the news, where eight. Leicester City supporters have been detained in Madrid following the incidents uh, in the Plaza de Mayor. If you've ever been to Madrid, it's a lovely part of the city. It was ruined by Leicester City fans and they've been jailed for four months, which is you know, fair enough in my personal opinion. Being a stupid football fan is one of the stupidest things you could do in the world. Four years ago today, Ryan Giggs scored that goal against Arsenal, took his shirt off and wheeled it round his head, leading United to the first treble ever Let's just touch on this next a little bit. So, Billerickie Town—they um, won a trophy last week, and they've got some uh, ex-Premier League player, I think Jamie, may, Jamie O'Hara, or might play there. Um, but there was—have uh, you seen the ridiculous pre-match song that they put together, you two lads? I
0: have not.
2: I'd, I'd seen the video reference; I hadn't clicked on it.
1: Well, shall we do it for the first time ever then, right now, together? Go on then. We
2: only play
1: 15 seconds of this, otherwise we're gonna have to pay for it. So yeah, there's this the R. Kelly song, um, sung by the Billericay players on the way to lifting the uh, Alan Turvin Trophy. I quite like the idea. Do you do you like the idea of of coaches getting their players to sing um, before a game to kind of motivate them to pump them up?
0: Yeah, I mean it's good it's all good if uh if, if it ends well i guess right so it's, it's all about whatever you do to, to bring your players together if, the, if that's what he wants to do i wouldn't do it myself but yeah sure
1: <laughs> i sort of liken it to the zambia heroic african cup of nations final where they were singing to each other before stepping up and scoring a hell of a lot of penalties but anyway let's talk about something that's a little bit more exciting than biliriki town and that is the shortlist for the european golden boy a number of top names in there um the likes of donnarumma mbappe gabriel jesus marcus rashford again uh Ben Woodburn from Liverpool, amongst other superstars at the, their age group. Kasper Dolberg, Ousmane Dembele, other players in there. I'm going to go come from a nomination each from each of you. Who do you think should win the European Golden Boy this season?
2: Uh, I was toying between Donnarumma and um, Bappe.
1: Nico?
0: I'm going to go with... Mbappe can't really be overlooked because it's not just when you look at Golden Boys, it's not just talent. I mean, Raheem Sterling, I think, won it a few seasons ago when he was at Liverpool. And like, he didn't have that much, you know, palpable representation behind what he was doing. But the talent was there. And Mbappé has both you know he has the clear and obvious talent but he also has the actual goals I mean the the number of goals he's scoring right now is absolutely insane for for his age even if you know tactically the system does pander towards his best qualities I think it has to be him yeah I
1: kind of agree I think Mbappé is number one for me in other awards the PFA uh, player of the year and young player of the year awards were announced uh, with Harry Kane, Lukaku, the Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Alexis Sanchez, Eden Hazard and Ungulu Kante for the main award and for the young player of course Kane and Lukaku nominated for that as well alongside Michael King, Leroy Sane, Jordan Pickford and of course the main man, the 2016 winner, Deli Ali. Let's talk about the, the player first uh, which one of those names Chris for you stands out as the best player in the Premier League this season
2: uh, I think Dele Ali, personally
1: so a player that wasn't non- nominated for the player of the year you'd give it to Deli Alley ahead of Eden Hazard and Gulo Kante
2: um, the thing is I only say that and I'm being facetious partly because I can't really pick between Hazard and Kante because they've both had similar influence um, there are then separate arguments for why both should win so Kante has done exceptionally well to adapt to a new surrounding and and has been a key figure for Chelsea you would also say that Hazard by contrast has very much righted the ship of his career and gone from having I think what was his worst season um, as a player to now one of his best if not his best so I'm loath to give it to someone who based on goals and assists um, the thing is when I look at those key games the hazard probably I think just shades it
1: I kind of agree with that Eden Hazard for me Nico are you going to confirm or deny the Eden Hazard PFA front three player of the year award right now
0: I just don't understand how David Luiz isn't on the shortlist for PFA Player of the Year. I mean, it's obvious that besides the likes of N'Golo Conte, it's a who scores the most goals in this sort of thing. And and though I think N'Golo Conte, you know, Chris spoke to how well he's done in, in a different environment and how how influential and how critical he's been to Chelsea's season. David Luiz has to be right up there with that because he's the heart and soul of that defensive system, which is pretty much the mo of that team and he he does so much for them both from a defensive standpoint and offensive standpoint and i think if we look at a player of the year it's a complete player and though Conte has influenced the offensive system and he allows them to break very well and he you know makes some great passes and has excellent defensive work that doesn't even need to be covered you know david louis missing out on that is just sort of speaks to how we we look at award systems and how they're almost never given to defenders
1: yeah, I, kind of, I, I can, can and I can't agree with you. I I agree David Luiz has been in there, but then similarly to that, you look at Cesar equator and you could argue that he's had a better defensive uh, campaign than David Luiz has. David Luiz is getting the plaudits because he's this fancy ball-playing centre, uh, centre-back that does bring the ball out of the back. What you're missing is Cesar equators. Um, ability to keep the moves going on he's completed more passes than any other uh, defender in the Premier League he's also made the most tackles of any centre-back it's one of these things where but, it's, but so, been equated. It's so, not getting any of the, the credit that David Luiz is getting all of it is that a good right. analysis uh, bad analysis you, you tell me Nico
0: I think I think there's truth to what you're saying there, but also you have to look at the difficulty. So you know, just mentioning like pass completion stats, like that's not a context that that we're not giving any context. I to could this. throw in
1: stuff. there that he's completed more. He definitely would have been completed the most as a centre back forward passes in the Premier League as well. So he's hitting them into the right areas, which would be more than okay. what David Luiz has managed and so forth. And I'm, he's not saying, more I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying he,
0: he hasn't. I'm not saying he hasn't done very well I think he has but I think as also someone that organizes that system and that's central to it David Luiz is on all three fronts there defensively offensively and you know just as as, as sort of the heart and soul of that team I think he's in there as well.
1: Fair play well we'll have to give a third of the TF3 uh, player of the year award to David Luiz a third of it to Eden Hazard and a third of it to Angulo Kante does that sound all right?
0: If I'm going with people on the list then I would say um Oh no. Sanchez.
1: Nah, too late. We've given it to David Luiz. It's at his house. We've delivered it. The Ferreira Roches are there. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to the young players. Uh, I think this is just going to be a clean sweep, and Deli Alley will get the full TF3 trophy. I'm going to go Deli Alley, Chris. Are you going Deli Alley? I am indeed. Nico? Yep.
0: You're not going to say good. Jordan Pickford, are you? No, I don't. I don't. I think he's good goalkeeper, but like, he also he's put in a position to shine there because that Sunderland team is awful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Chris, um, what about good old Lukaku though? Top scorer in the Premier League.
0: Yeah. Is he on the young player? Sorry.
1: Yeah, young it, player list.
2: He is. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a funny one. Like you can theoretically win it a few years in a row as long as you qualify from the the age. Um, Ring. You could even argue that the category or the fact that it's up until you 23 is a little bit long.
1: Um, <laughs> it's absolute rubbish in my opinion.
2: <laughs> yeah, you've got to like should be under 21 or under 20 or something like that. But anyway, that's a, a digression for another time. I think honestly, you look at that entire group. There's there's decent cases for all of them. That's the thing. I personally, I know it's it's um, not the greatest for discussion. I, I don't really give much stock to these awards.
1: Oh, Chris, we just spoke about 10 minutes about it, and you think the listeners should go back and unlisten to all the things that we said about the (laughs) awards? The TF3 trophies are going to stay at my house, rotting in my cupboard.
0: You can't can't unlisten to the podcast. That's a great thing. Once it's in your ears, it's in your ears.
1: (laughs) Nico, it depends how many beers you have that evening. I can tell you you can unlisten to things. trust me about that. Anyway, that's that for the news. Uh, Let's move on to the Premier League previews. So first up, we're going to talk about Manchester United-Chelsea. And in fact, we've got a good offer for you. We've uh, joined forces with the wonderful people at Playzula to give you a deal to potentially win £10,000. Remember, this is only open to people over... Over the age of 18 in the UK, basically what you need to do is sign up to plays do we'll include all the links um in the description of the uh, podcast on iTunes and of course on acast as well as tweeting out over the weekend but what you need to do to win that ten thousand pounds from just a single pound is answer eight questions. are you guys excited about this as much as I'm excited about this? yes
0: yes I'm thrilled I'm thrilled about it I so- can not couldn't, couldn't be more excited.
1: But Nico, if you're thrilled, everyone else is going to be thrilled. So basically, the Playzula game is a simple game um, where you've basically got to answer eight different questions. So the questions for the Chelsea game come as follows. I want to take your two answers, and I'll give my answer and the reason why I'm right and you guys are wrong. You're not allowed to read the notes at the moment because then you'll be stealing my answer and feeding it back to me, which is cheating. But remember, Playzula, sign up, win 10 grand. So, in the Man United versus Chelsea game, how many goals will there be in the game in the 90 minutes of action? Nico, what are you going to say? I'm
0: going to say one.
1: Chris? Two. As the statistician of the group, obviously, I will be dominant this game. Uh, I looked at some numbers, and the average number of goals per game in the Premier League this season is 2.7. So, by that logic, I'm going to round that up to three goals in this game, and I'm going to go 2-1 to Manchester United. Chris, what do you reckon the score will be?
2: I think it will be two nil to Chelsea.
1: Fair enough. Next big question that's going to come in from PlayZula to win the ten thousand pounds is how many? What's the number of total fouls going to be in the game, Chris? What are you going to go with
2: total number of fouls?
1: Eighteen. Eighteen. Decent numbers, Nika.
0: I'm gonna do the Prices Right strategy. Nineteen.
1: Okay, I like that. I like that. You see, you guys have let yourselves down there because there's been on average 22.9 fouls per match in the Premier League this season, which means that it's going to be 23 fouls. In terms of the next one, it's all about your heart, um, and you have to basically go in the list and see which of the uh, the players on in the game are going to score in the match. I've of course gone with Zlatan. Nico. Who's going to score? Costa. Costa. Chris. Uh hazard. Sweet. Okay. So we've got Costa, Ibrahimovic, and of course Eden Hazard to score within the game. Next question how many corners will there be? Obviously for Manchester United this season they've averaged eight point one two five corners per game. So it's got to be eight corners, right guys?
0: Yep. Sounds Sweet.
1: good. Sweet. The next three questions is all about minutes. So basically you just gotta guess whatever you want. So you want to find the minute of the when the first team's the first So you're going to find the minute when the home team gets their first card, which I'm going to say five minutes, then the next one is what minutes the first goal is going to be scored, I think there's going to be an early goal three minutes gone, and then the next one what minute will the first away team get their first corner, I've gone 63 The final question is all about match points it's a little bit complicated, you've got to add out the number of uh, goals are scored multiply that by 10 saves are worth a certain point and so forth so just stick around 111 because that is right so 100 over 100 points in this game will be spot on but anyway remember if you want to win 10,000 pounds and you are over 18 sign up to play zula using our link in the description of the itunes or go over to our twitter account and jump on over there anyway enough about play zula and winning all that money that you can spend on a wonderful holiday or maybe a trip aboard to watch some fantastic football let's talk about manchester united versus chelsea at Trafford in the Premier League, Chris. How do you see this one going?
2: I think it goes the the way of Chelsea. I think I think you look at the games they've needed to to step up this season, and that's the one thing they've been able to do consistently. And I, I don't see that changing. the The one thing about Man United is for all the talk of them being quite boring and, and drawing defensively, I think they've been quite solid. So that's the the interesting thing to me is is how. Conte engineers something to to break Manchester United down. Saying that, though, I I don't think it's impossible. I saw potential um, weaknesses against Sunderland last week, not ones that Sunderland could exploit, admittedly. But I think the fact that this is at Old Trafford, it it helps massively because, from a a Chelsea perspective at least, because you you have to think that the onus is going to be on Mourinho to take the game, to, to lead the attack, and, and it will facilitate Chelsea being the, the counter puncher all that more.
1: I think it's yeah, it's gonna. I kind of agree with a number of those points, the counter puncher and, and, and so forth. That it's going to be an interesting one. United's inconsistencies may cost them again. Nico, do you think United have got enough to break down this Chelsea formation that will be a 5-4-1 on the pitch?
0: No, um, they're gonna. Mourinho, as, as you've spoken about recently, has shifted to a formation or has tried to shift to a formation that probably matches up better against the likes of sort of the better teams in the Premier League this season, so the likes of a formation that Manchester City has played and Tottenham and especially Chelsea. Um, but, it, you know, this this Chelsea team is excellent. They're excellent defensively, and they're excellent going forward. So, like I said, I think there will only be one goal in the game. I'm not sure when it'll come, but I think Chelsea have enough to break down uh, this Manchester United team, regardless of how, you know, well, they do defensively. And, and just from then on, I think Chelsea, whenever they do score their goal, because I think they will be the first ones to score, uh, can shut up shop and uh, and keep this relatively impotent Manchester United attack out. So I, I, I back Chelsea completely in this match.
1: You see, I'm upset that you guys are going against the Manche- mighty Manchester United. I'm going to go a United 3 <laughs> 0 win. Zlatan Ibrahim. 3 0. Adam Boltwood needs to bleach blonde his hair instantly. I think this is because United will nick the early goal, they will set up in the formation that I want them to set up in a 3-4-3 and they'll defend and counter-attack and they'll destroy Chelsea. But that's only what the fan says inside of me. The realist guy says it's going to be a simple what nil-nil draw or a 1-1 draw at home. Moving on to other games, Tottenham play against Bournemouth at home. Uh, Chris, Christian Eriksen, Dele Alli, in form, Sons in form. Is this going to be another easy win for Tottenham-Hotspur?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, I do like the, the progress that Ericsson's made this season. Admittedly, his, his numbers, it's its this interesting debate that I actually had about Paul Pogba and, and the idea that chances created highlights what he's doing more than, than assists because assists doesn't necessarily factor in um, teammates finishing. And I think Ericsson was in a, a similar boat a couple of seasons ago where he was creating a lot and he was doing a lot, but... There maybe wasn't the the quality of finishing there that they needed to be, um, so I think uh, again you you look at that Spurs side as well. It's got Deli Ali. Unfortunately, Harry Winks is out. I was hoping to to see a little bit more of him um, towards the back end of the season because I do quite like him as a prospect. But I think Spurs have just got too much, and and the thing is. You know, they've got them for a lot at the minute. There's a lot of people talking about the the gap with Arsenal and finishing above them. I think Pochettino nailed it when he said, you know, we're kind of going after Chelsea, really. We're looking at bigger things. I think, actually, games like this one against Bournemouth and comments like that are the best way to move Spurs away from being Arsenal's sort of smaller brother or, or little sibling, if you will. And, and help them establish themselves as a bigger club now that also needs to follow as I said with the result against Bournemouth because it's exactly the kind of game where you would look at it in seasons gone by and say that's where Spurs slip up it's it's a game that with all the greatest of respects to, to Bournemouth Tottenham should be winning and yet it's one of those ones where you could very easily see flash upon the video printer 1-0 Bournemouth at 4b79 minutes or something ridiculous like that
1: Talking about big brothers, let's talk about Bournemouth's big brother, and that's Southampton. Manchester City uh, taking a trip to the south coast to play sort of resurgent Southampton. Nico, do you think Pep Guardiola's got enough to to take about Puel's men?
0: Yeah, I think um, Manchester City definitely have the ability to take uh, to take all three points against Southampton. But you know, it has to be said that that Claude Puel is a very flexible manager, and I've seen him play a number of different systems with uh, different squads uh, at Southampton this season and you know credit to him he's done very well so if Southampton set up in their sort of 4-5-1 4-4-2-esque four, four, system that uses uh, Dusan Tadic as sort of like a wide midfielder and Nathan Redmond as the opposite wide midfielder I mean we could see Manchester City nullified and possibly dropping points here you know we can't underestimate the likes of Southampton but realistically this is a game that Manchester City and their front five or their front four should be putting the points away against them. So hopefully we do, and hopefully we get the three points. Uh, I will back Manchester City, but it's certainly not going to be an easy game. If I had to go for a uh, score prediction, I think it'd be like 2-1. Two-one.
1: Ooh, 2 one Manchester City. Well, yeah. let's finish off with the last two games. First up, West Brom versus Liverpool in the Premier League. Chris, has Jurgen Klopp got enough to defeat Tony Poulis? For me, absolutely not. Liverpool are going <laughs> to concede from a corner and a set piece, and West Brom are going to win two now.
2: Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with everything you said but I agree with the <laughs> whole premise I, th- I think again I always remember I used to hate when Tony Pulis would visit because his teams are just
1: they're, so fun so good at playing football say it Chris you say it
2: it's, it's not even that it's just that sort of just like consistent you know it's just just sort of they never they never seem like they're out of a game um that's the problem. You know, you can be one nil, two nil up. You never feel like they're out of a game. They're just one decent set piece from getting right back into things and, and spreading the nerves. I, th- I think, look, the, the problem I've got with Klopp at the minute is I, I like a lot of what he brings. I don't appreciate his lack of flexibility. Um, I think tactically, I don't know if he's even at the right age for it. I just think he needs to develop something a little bit different. Um, because at the minute, the way he operates is is just a little bit um, simplistic for me in terms of his, his style and, and the way that he puts things together. So maybe now is the time to, to do that, because I think it's it's teams like Pulis', uh, Pulis West Brom that, that often highlight his lack of flexibility. Um, so I guess we'll see.
1: We will see. And to finish things off, Premier League roundup time. Predictions: Middlesbrough playing away at Arsenal. Middlesbrough this season have scored fewer goals than Romelu Lukaku who has managed on his own. They are so boring. I expect Arsenal to flip this form over and absolutely give them a beating. With Sanchez carrying his three hundred thousand pounds that he earned that week onto the pitch, hitting, let's say. Victor Valdez in the face with the money and then scoring a goal but anyway that's it for, for Premier League roundup slash predictions slash all the fun let's ask, answer a bit of you know a few of your questions that you've sent in on Twitter first up uh, Sanchez Assist at Sanchez Assists on Twitter should Arsenal go for Kryovac I'm going to send that question to you Nico
0: um it depends, really. I, I, as you've spoken about many times, you know, he was probably one of the best defensive midfielders in Europe under Unai Emery at Sevilla. But we haven't seen any of that this season, and you have to sort of wonder why: is there an injury problem? Is there an attitude problem? Is there some sort of other issue that's keeping him off the field? So, it, it would be very Arsenal-esque, I guess, to uh, go for a player that perhaps is not the one that you should go for, and isn't exactly the the maybe not necessarily a finished article, but isn't a hundred percent sure like a a, a secure option but I I actually think they have plenty of um, options at that defensive midfield department that could be utilized in in many better ways I think Granit is a very good player it's just he's going uh, through a bit of a rough patch of form here and um, so no I would say no I think they need to focus their you know transfer recruitment on other parts of the team and Arsene Banger perhaps needs to overhaul the team a bit and how he uses uh, certain members of that squad
1: I think Krokovac would. If you get the Krokovac that was uh, victorious in the Europa League against Liverpool, um, you getting an absolute star in there. You know, all, every single Premier League side in the top six, could, you know, could use with a Polish guy. But obviously, out of form this season, I think it'd be a gamble. I think United, Arsenal, Liverpool should all look at him and, and look to bring him in. Question for you, Chris, from the Pack Mouse on Twitter: Would Edison be a good from Benfica be a good fit for Manchester City?
2: Uh, honestly, I've not seen enough of them to comment. I know he's a good goalkeeper. I know he's highly rated. I'm going to say no. And, uh, yeah, if, if, hey, if Nico's seen more of them than I have, I'm happy to defer.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it, uh, it, you know, the thing with, about Manchester City is that, like, with these transfer rumors is that anyone in any... Anyone and anything that is good in Europe is automatically linked with Manchester City because there are a number of glaring deficiencies within that team. But that doesn't say, you know, he's just brought in Claudio Bravo, who, you know, you can have your opinions on him and whatever, but I think he will come back to form. And, you know, he's recently come out and said that he doesn't have a number one goalkeeper. And he actually has three goalkeepers in a youth keeper in Angus Gunn, I believe. And then Billy Caballero who does better in the save department than Claudio Bravo as of recently. Um, but in terms of distribution, you know, the best, the best option that we have is Claudio Bravo. And I don't think Ederson uh, is specifically or not specifically, but exceptionally prolific in, in that department in terms of, you know, comparing them between the goalkeepers that we already have. So I think it's just one of those things that people are, are looking to make a, an article out of you see i you think thought-
2: jordan pickford makes sense as well that's that's the other thing is there's a young english keeper that looks very good right now that makes a lot of sense and i think there are certainly uh members of our parish who will subsequently write a story about that because again it, it's logical enough to to not be called uh, bollocks basically and the thing is i know for a fact that guardiola's watched pickford he likes him and if, uh, if maybe for what I lack in terms of knowledge for, for Edison can make up for it in terms of Pickford I think he's a fantastic prospect uh, I can see why people might compare him to say Ben Annick who was another promising goalkeeper that went down with Sunderland personally I think Pickford's in a totally different class his distribution uh, I was watching it Sunday against Manchester United out from his hands is, is sensational I think he could improve on the ground and play out of the back um, And in general, I just think he's a wonderful shot stopper that is at an age now and has all of the basic components that with the right coach, with I think the right um, shadowing, could could become England's best goalkeeper by some distance.
1: Be certain. Right, let's finish things off with a question from the main man. We haven't spoken about him in a while, so I think we've got to give a big shout out to the man, the legend, Mr. John Chin, who sends a question in. Um, three players to sign for Manchester United, one forward, one midfielder, and one defender. Chris, who would you sign if you were Mourinho in the summer?
2: The funny thing was I saw someone say last night, oh, we should try and sign Yuri Taylorman's. Um, we obviously being Manchester United, I'm not a United fan. Um I, I thought that was a really funny way to look at it because he pretty much does what Pogba does Um, in terms of a midfielder um, it's going to make a really funny joke there you do need a a Volante term I have recently acquired into (laughs) my vocabulary I think that's what you need honestly I think I mean, Herrera is best when he's... A Volante
0: defensive. in a Medio Centro and uh, a balancing uh, whatever the fuck else.
2: Well, that's the thing. I, I think the funny thing is Herrera does his best work when he's doing defensive stuff. Um, but also, I think someone to just mess things up, maybe uh, Bakayoko from, from Monaco... Um, because I'm trying to be a little bit realistic here and not just say, oh it's I can't do um, Bakayoko in terms of a forward I honestly think you are so set for forwards I think the problem is Mourinho isn't the greatest at lining them up um, so I think that end you set a defender I think you need someone with a little bit of culture um, i trying to think of a decent defender by all means chip in if you've got someone here because oh, I'm
1: simple United just go in. They buy Fabinho from Monaco. They buy Benucci from Juve, and they buy Griezmann from a flight They win the Champions League. It's easy as that.
0: First of all, how much would that like cost? And like, why is Has there? I've never seen Edward
1: like Ed Wood's cash that he moves around the place. <laughs> but, and I well, Benucci, with a,
0: fifty.
1: With a, with a, with a would be right?
0: more than fifty at this point, and Griezmann would be a like a hundred.
1: A truck, Nico. You a could truck. swim in
0: it. A Brinks, a Brinks truck of just straight Gouda. Yeah,
1: it's what Ed does. <laughs> He drives around Europe with his truck. And when he stops at your house, you offer him for a cup of tea.
0: One thing I I think we have to say about Manchester United uh, specifically is that they're the best and probably only candidate for um, Romelu Lukaku this season, or this this transfer window. Because I think if you look at the rest of the options around Europe that would even be able to afford him, they already have star strikers that, you know, they would be hard-pressed to to really, not hard-pressed, like, Nobody would take them, but it would be like an interesting decision or a weird decision if they decided to get rid of a striker that's doing perfectly fine within their system. So I think in terms of teams that can actually afford Lukaku, need his services, and could you know enjoy his talents for the considerable future, as opposed to you know an Ibrahimovic that. Fair enough. He's he's done his job and he does it very well. I think, um, you know, criticisms that he doesn't fill, finish well enough are a bit uh, ill placed. But you know, in in looking forward and developing this United squad for the future, I think um is the right option, and Manchester United is really the only option for him this summer.
2: Yeah. Would you not want Keita there? Nabi Keita. No, he
0: Doesn't um, fit United.
1: Unfortunately.
0: Does he not? He doesn't.
1: He, doesn't, he wouldn't fit United's.
0: I think I think if you if Manchester United are to get to the to get to their best under their current manager they have to go back to that classic Mourinho 4231ish system that he played at um Inter with the offensive like defensive forwards I guess and and everybody sort of, sort of holistically selling out in a very good right back or left back that can build a good relationship a good crossing relationship with whoever leads that line. So who was the midfielder you said you wanted Benucci Griezmann and
1: Fabinho from Monaco. I think it holding yeah, okay, guys that works. next that works. to Pogba. But then again, like it, it flips to the side. If you want to, what you want to do with Paul Pogba is the problem. Paul Pogba is the problem of this side. Whether you play him, like there's so many ways that you could solve the problem. You play him as a as a ten. You play him as a six. I don't think he's a number eight. I think he's positionally not good enough to be a number number eight up and down. Mm-hmm. So he's either a ten or a six. Out of that, he's a six. Then then getting someone like Fabinho doesn't quite work out because you know that's kind of what you'd want Paul Pogba to be on the ball most of the time so Bakayoko would be a better option it's all about what Mourinho wants to do and he needs to make some big calls this summer you know he's not um a void of, of criticism he needs to decide what he's doing with Paul Pogba that is the biggest thing or he plays a 3-4-3 three, three and plays him as a forward why not do but that? defensively much what he did at Juve
0: but defensively is he good enough to be that 6 that's, Definitely. that's in the
1: two? i think Paul Pogba's understanding of the game and the we can when he's played in a defensive role he usually does quite well uh, but it's mm-hmm. it's the problem that you get with uh, you know all the fan perception around our oh, Paul Pogba is best when he's going forward. Yeah, he's very good going forward, but his strengths are controlling a game of football, like the game against Anderlecht. He controls exactly, game. but
0: it isn't. So so wouldn't there be be a case to say that Paul Pogba fits better in a Juventus? Sort of possession system that seeks to dominate a game, as opposed to a Mourinho defensive system that tries to. You know, they're not always going to sit back. They need a Pogba to win the league. They need a Pogba because the majority of the opponents that they'll face in a league campaign, they need to dominate the game and they need to be sort of the the, the creators and have the onus put upon them. But. Is he going to develop into that player under Mourinho? I think there's a case to say no. Well,
1: there's also a case to say yes. That with Ces Fabregas, <laughs> Mourinho did. That's what Mourinho did when they won the league. It was Cesc Fabregas played even number ten, deep in midfield, right. similar to what Tiago. But was he was, but, but he
0: was already like, in. He was already into the latter stages of his career at that point in time when he got to Chelsea. That that I think that's what your the time. No, no, no. no I, think it's,
1: I think it's a fair point. I think it's one of those things where it is on Mourinho. It really is, and it will be the. The making or breaking of his Manchester United career if he can get the best out of Paul Pogba or there'll be another manager that comes in someone like Yardim, someone like Thomas Tuchel, that can take Paul Pogba to the next level but anyway guys, that's been that for the front three today make sure to check out PlayZula click on the link on Twitter or in the description of this podcast and give it a play and see if you can beat me because I don't think you can because I've got the stats and the power and the knowledge of football so see you later until Monday I do believe when we we'll be recording the next podcast over and out, goodbye